Every worship service that we have typically ends the same. If you've been here week in, week out, after the sermon, we pray and we praise. We'll have a closing prayer uh, by me or someone else in the congregation. Then we'll sing a song called the doxology. Um, and this, we're going to start off our sermon real heavy with a Greek lesson. Okay, The word doxology is just a combination of two Greek words. Doxa, meaning praise or glory. And the ending ology comes from the word logos, which means word. So it's a word of praise or a word of glory. We end every service this way. We pray and we sing the doxology. Now, Paul, in some sense, has just preached a really good, deep sermon over the past three chapters in this book. He's preached a really good sermon and he kind of ends his sermon in a similar way. He's going to pray that we'd be able to apply what we've just heard. And he's also going to praise God for the things that they had just heard. And if we think back over this um, sermon that Paul has preached, remember the book of Ephesians, it's really beautifully cut in half. The first three chapters talk about deep theological truths. And then the second three chapters, four, five and six, talk about practical application of that truth. So if we look back, I told you we're going to be in chapter three, but if you look on your page to the left, starting in chapter one, we can look back over our journey so far through the book of Ephesians and look at uh, that first chapter. You might have a heading like spiritual blessings in Christ, but this is where Paul praises God for this amazing plan. And if you remember this plan that God has created started before we were born and before the earth was created. Before the foundations of the world, God had set his heart on his people. And we talked about how you have never, ever, if you're a believer, you have never been not thought of. You've never been fatherless because this father set his heart on you before you were created that he would adopt you as his child. And we talked about how this, this great grand plan satisfies us, but in some sense, we're kind of a byproduct of this plan. Our happiness and satisfaction to God is truly Uh, held up by the fact that he seeks to glorify himself in that, to the praise of his glory. Well, Paul goes from praising God for a, a perfect plan, then he goes to praying for knowledge. He prays that we would understand this perfect plan, that we would be able to, to comprehend what links God went to in order to accomplish this plan. Then, if you pick up in chapter 2, a very famous passage in the Bible that speaks of our our deadness in sin and our aliveness in Christ. Uh, This was one of those passages that really flattened out and kind of brings us all to the same level to say, all of us, uh, we're sinners. No matter what group of people we're born into, no matter what our past looks like, we are all sinners on the same playing field. And if we're going to receive salvation, it's because Christ has made us alive, as that passage says. Uh, We were dead in our sins. Now we're made alive in Christ. In one sense, that was individual salvation. But then he goes on from there. And he says, not only are you saved individually, you're brought into a body of people, a family of God. And if you're going to be right with God vertically, then that's going to make a big impact on your relationships with people horizontally. If you've been saved by Christ, there's no option to to have division and disunity among his people, specifically, as that passage says, ethnic division. There was an ethnic division that existed uh, before the church. And in Christ, God brought together these two groups and made them one new man. 
And then from there, Paul speaks of the mystery of the gospel, um, how it was something that was hidden in the past. We didn't really know how it was going to happen, but it was revealed in Christ. And Paul is a servant of that mystery of the gospel. Everything that he did, even suffering in prison as he wrote this, made him okay uh, with that suffering because it advanced the gospel. So as you can see, Paul really just dug in to talk about things that are really hard for us to understand. Uh, it's hard for us to comprehend plans that God made before the foundation of the world. It's hard for us to comprehend our individual salvation and our corporate salvation. And a lot of times, though, we are satisfied to leave Christianity there. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, we're, we're okay, especially you know preachers like me who... Um, like to think that they're smarter than they actually are, like to talk about the big, deep, he uh, heavy theological stuff, but we shirk the practical. We make Christianity into a mental exercise rather than a, a, an, a whole life exercise. And may we not do that. I think that's what Paul prays here, that we would not just look at these deep theological truths, but we would have the power and strength to live those truths out in our life. See, Christianity is, to be sure, an intellectual religion. We use our mind. We're called to love God with all of our mind. And, but it's definitely more than just a mental exercise. It's not less than, but it is more than a mental exercise. So today, Paul's going to pray that we'd be able to put the things that he just spoke about into practice in our lives. And at the end of this section of Ephesians, he prays that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to comprehend the depths of God's plan and how he put it into practice in God's redeemed community, his church. So with that being said, let's read this passage, verses 14 through 21. And see what the Lord has to say for us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21. It says this. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory. He may grant you to be strengthened with power. Through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So as we see this, remember, Paul starts off with a prayer and ends with a praise. His first prayer request that he asks, he asks the Father for strength for the indwelling of Christ. He prays that we would be strengthened, that these Ephesians would be strengthened, that Christ may dwell inside of us. He's asking that these believers would be strengthened in their inner being so that Christ could dwell in their hearts. And notice there's a Trinitarian shape. Um, I hope maybe you noticed in the songs we sang this morning, there's a lot of Trinity language in those, talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice how he prays. First, he prays to the Father. And he does it humbly, bowing down. He says a bow, a bow before the Father. Um, he does this to show humility before the king of the universe. And he's acknowledging that this is the king who made everyone and has everything. It says, from whom all families are named. Remember who Paul is speaking to. Paul is a Jewish person speaking to a bunch of Gentile people. So this was an ethnic divide. But he's speaking to them 
Praise God from whom every family on earth is named. He's saying that while there may be all kinds of nations all over this world who practice various different religions, who speak various different languages, are located in cold climates, hot climates, whatever. He said, really, everybody was created by God. He is the father of us all. He's including them in his family as he says that. So he's saying, I pray before God, the one who's my father and your father, my daddy and your daddy. And he says he made everyone and he has everything according to the glorious riches, uh, according to the riches of his glory. So he prays to the father with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who can reach into our inner being. He is the only one that can impact the inside. Um, We can conform outwardly, especially for a little bit. Any of us can do anything like it's not that hard to conform outside, but to have that your insides changed, your heart changed, that is a spiritual act. And that's why he prays to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the only one that can act in our hearts. And then he also prays for the indwelling of Christ. Paul asked for this inner strength so the Spirit's Uh, So that Christ can dwell in our hearts. Paul's focus of the prayer at this point is the indwelling of Christ. Um, This is kind of where we often get um, the idea. You may have heard like when people say, um, I got saved. They would often say, I asked Jesus into my heart. Um, If you've ever heard that phrase before. And this is kind of that idea that we get. Um, That's where we get that idea. Although that phrase, ask Jesus into your heart, is not in the Bible. The idea of Christ living in you and indwelling you very much is. And this word dwelling, this word living, existing in one place, has the idea of ownership or autonomy. um, That he would dwell, he'd make his home in your heart. And see, we humans, we do not want to give up ownership of anything. We don't want to seize control to anyone. We want to be the ones uh, with our hands on the wheel and the remote control in our hands. But this is talking about giving over control to Jesus. And if you disagree about people wanting control, let me let me take you to a scenario. Um, all of you married people, I'm going to take you back to uh, your first fight as a married couple. All right, and all you kids who are not married yet, this is what you can look forward to. When you get married, this is often the first time that you've lived with somebody other than your parents. And that first fight in marriage, um, it's not about what you're going to eat that night or uh, how much money you're going to spend on your first big purchase. That first fight that you have in that new home that's yours is where do the cups go in which cabinet, right? Because you step, you think, he says this. He says, this is the cabinet where the cups go because it's right by the fridge. And that's where... I pour my milk into the cup to drink it. So it makes sense that it would be by the fridge. And she says, no, the cups are actually uh, the thing that we use the most. So it makes sense for them to, for the cabinet to be by the dishwasher. So it's easy to put the cups from the dishwasher into the cabinet right there. And then he says, well, that's not my, how my mom did it. And then she says, I'm not your mama, right? <laughs> See, that first little fight is all about control. It's saying, I want things to look this way in my place. And he says, no, I want things to look this way in my place. They're vying for control. And what are they really saying to each other when they're disagreeing? What are they saying? They're saying, my idea is better than your idea. If you want to phrase it that way. My idea 
is better than your idea. My way of doing it is better than yours. Your, may, your way might be okay and good. Mine's best. But do we find ourselves in that same jockeying for position with the Lord in our lives? Do we find ourselves disagreeing with Jesus about where the cups go in our house or how we should act or interact with our spouse, our children, our coworkers, or whomever it might be? Do we find ourselves saying, Jesus, I know you would like me to spend my money this way, but if I do that, then I can't spend it this way. Or you might say, Jesus, I know you want me to forgive so-and-so, but let me remind you of what she did. Let me remind you of what they said. We find ourselves fighting and jockeying for position with the Lord when we're supposed to be allowing him to indwell us and change things and rearrange things and remodel. I think that's why Paul prays for this. Uh, It might seem like something silly on on the surface to say, pray that that Christ would be able to dwell in us. But what that takes, what, what it takes for Christ to dwell in you is for you to do this. Open your hand and let Jesus have control. See, our relationship with the Lord should be less like that, that married couple vying for position and more like Extreme Home Makeover. Have you guys ever seen that show? It was a famous show. It was kind of big in like the early 2000s, but they take this family who maybe weren't great interior decorators. They had this house that they'd purchased, but um, you know, wanted to, wanted to make it look nicer. So they invite this guy named, uh, I think his name was Ty, wasn't it? I can't remember the guy's name, uh, but he would come and he'd bring this team and they would remodel this house in like 48 hours or 72 hours, something crazy like that. And this family had nothing to do with it. They would literally send these people to Disney World, go away for a week or whatever, and come back. And they would come back and see this home, their home, this home that they had purchased and had, and it looked completely different. And more often than not, the family would come home after having their home completely redecorated and think, this is much better than I could have imagined. This is way better than what we had before. And I had nothing to do with it. And I'm telling you, Christ can do that in your life. As you look at your life, as Christ changes it, it's the same place, right? It's just like that same house in Extreme Home Maker. It's the same house, but it looks a lot different now because of what the Extreme Home Makeover people did. And in the same way, your life as a Christian, you are still you, but you are a much better you in Christ. But that takes trust, It takes trust to allow Christ to come in and change uh, your attitudes and your dispositions and your preferences and your schedules and your dreams and hopes to allow Christ to come in and just remodel, to do an extreme home makeover in your life takes a lot of trust. But Paul prays. That's why we also need to pray this same prayer. Um, Lord, help me to be strengthened with power through your Holy Spirit inside my inner being so that Christ can dwell in my heart. And that through faith, trusting, trusting that whatever you do, God, whatever you tell me, however you call me to change my life is for the better. It is for the better. It may not be comfortable at first. It may not be what you wanted or asked for, but it is truly what's better for you. And that's why he prays that prayer. And if we think about the context of why Paul's praying that prayer, remember what he said. God has this great big grand plan that you've been swept up into. You're saved individually and you're also saved into a family. 
And as we know, family relationships are tough, even within the church. So Paul prays, in order for us to live as a church, in order for us to exist as a community that's united around Christ, we need a spiritual makeover to be able to do that. Because most of us, I'm going to amend that statement, all of us come into this group of people, this church, with our own preferences and desires and our own selfishness. Even me, the pastor, I come into this relationship with preferences and selfish desires. And we need the Holy Spirit to come and dwell us so that we don't fight about what color the carpet is. So we don't fight about the ways we do ministry, right? That takes an act of the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes we think maybe it doesn't or, or that indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not that important. But for us to exist, to be unified, it takes an act, a holy, miraculous act of the Holy Spirit to reorganize our hearts to where we don't vie for our own, uh, our own desires. But we say, if it's going to help the Lord for us to have green carpet rather than red carpet, great. That's fine. I don't care. Right. That's the attitude we need to have as we come in to the church. More on the church in a little bit. So that first prayer that Paul prays, he prays that we would have strength to allow Christ to indwell us. The second prayer that Paul prays is strength for knowing the love of Christ. Strength, ability to know the love of Christ. A few things that we can see in this portion of this text when he says, um, picking up in verse 18, that we may, may be strengthened to comprehend and to know the love of Christ. This love that Paul speaks of is a love beyond comprehension. Isn't that funny that he's praying that we'd understand something that's not understandable? He's praying about us understanding the, 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 the width, the length, the height, the depth of this love. It's sheer magnitude, but it's really something that's ununderstandable. It's a paradox. It's, it's so uh, funny that he asked this, but we need to pray because we often are tempted to doubt the, the extent of God's love for us. We often think, that if, if, if love and forgiveness was a foot race, we could outrun God's love for us through our sin, through our failings, through our shortcomings. We think that we could travel so far to where God couldn't find us. He's, his GPS would lose connection. He wouldn't be able to find us if we sin in such a way or sin just the right amount. But that's not the love that Paul's trying to help them understand. He's praying you need to understand God's love for you, that it's that's never ending. It's always going to find you to understand how high it is, how wide it is, how deep it is to know the love of Christ. But notice the uh, location where this love is. It's, it's a love that uh, that goes beyond comprehension, and it's a love that's within community. Again, that community is right there. Look at verse 18. It says that may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. A phrase that we probably often skip over in thinking of that passage. But it says, with all the saints. To truly experience the love of God, you have to do that within his church, within his people. Now, I'm not saying just FBC Commerce. I'm not saying that. But within the community of God's people uh, spread throughout the earth uh, and throughout all time. In order to truly know God's love, you have to be connected to the church. Because they alone have the message for people, for love and forgiveness. That's the only place to find true forgiveness is the message of the gospel. Now that doesn't happen to happen with that doesn't have to happen within these four walls. 
That kind of love, that kind of comprehension of God's love happens as you set over a cup of coffee in the morning before work. Or as you um, go eat lunch together um, after school or go get a snack after school and you talk about God's love. Uh, the church is the place where we can spread that love. And it has to be understood within community. That we would understand the depth, uh, the length, the width, the height of God's love within his community with the saints. It's impossible to experience the fullness of Christ's love outside the community because he has left his community on earth and that is the people that represent him. And now Christ loves the earth through his church. Through his church. So Paul prays, we've seen, not only does he pray that we would be have strength to allow Christ to indwell us, but that we would also have strength to comprehend Christ's love for us. And then Paul ends... In some sense, by praying that we would understand the purpose of his God, this God-glorifying unity. So we've seen Paul's prayed for strength to have Christ change us from the inside out and that we would understand his love with the community. And that's all for the glory of God, for the glory of God, strengthened for the purpose of God-glorifying unity. Paul finishes his prayer and follows it up with the ultimate purpose of his request and really the ultimate purpose of this entire book, that the indwelling of Christ and the knowledge of his love may help us to grow into the fullness of God's presence. That's what he says in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or seek according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Notice Paul prays something, and then he speaks about the God who can do more than what he just prayed. That's what he says in verse 20. Now to him who's able to do more abundantly than all we ask or think. Um, I won't go into like the specifics of it, but that word far, to do far more abundantly um, literally is like super abundant if you read it in the Greek. And it's just like Paul made up a new word. Paul made up a new word to express how much more God can do than we ask. It'd be like, you know, we, we say like uber abundantly or, or like super. Like it, it is a new word that Paul created in order to convey the fact that God can do more than we ask for. God can do more than we ever ask for or even think. I'm bold enough to ask some things, but usually I'm more willing to ask something um, than I am to think something um, out loud. Does that make sense? Like if I'm in a meeting, I'm willing to express things. But then there's things that are going on in my mind that I'm like, I really wish this, right? Well, God, the God who knows all things and knows all people, not only does he hear what we ask, he hears what we think and the possibilities that we think. And even more than that, he's able to hear what we ask, think, and he's also able to know what we really need. Now, there's times when we're going to ask for things like Paul has asked for that are, that are right on key and right on target with what God would have us do. And he's going to say, you're shooting too low, buddy. You actually need to be shooting here. May we pray, may God, let us, let us um, impact the people on Cherry Street. And he's like, no, I'm going to let you impact the whole town of commerce or whatever that might be. But I think sometimes um, when we ask things of God, again, that residual selfishness is, is hanging out in there. And we might ask for things that God would not want us to ask for. And sometimes... He'll provide for us abundantly more than we can think because we've thought this the wrong path. We fought the wrong direction. But praise God that we have a God who is able to do far more than we ever ask or think. And that's according to the power that he works in us, which is the same power that he worked in Christ. 
And notice, again, this is all leading to this last verse, verse 21. His prayer that we would be indwelled with Christ. His prayer that we would understand God's love um, and help us to understand how much God can do for the sake of his glory. Verse 21, to him be glory. And he says in two places, in the church and in Christ Jesus. What a, what, how baffling is it that he would include the church next to Christ? Now, don't get confused. I'm not saying that in some way we're divine or something like that. But I am saying God has chosen through his wisdom to use the church as the vehicle to glorify himself in this world. He's chosen to do it that way. I probably wouldn't have done it that way because I know myself well enough that I'm going to fail and drop the ball. But praise God, he's able to do more than I think, more than I ask. And he's able to bring glory to himself through the church. And church, may we read this verse and remember that we are God's presence in this world. We have a role that we're supposed to live up to. And far too often, um, this preacher included, we fall short of being the presence of God for people. Um, When people are around us, do they say, man, I feel more love, more um, grace, more mercy from these people, or do I feel less from them? Well, prayerfully, we would help people to feel more like they're in the presence of God because he has chosen to glorify himself in the church and through Christ, through all generations. And as we think about our attitude toward our church specifically, this this group of people that's been gathering here um, in this community for over 100 years, um, I praise God for uh, the history that this church has. I mentioned it uh, last Sunday, but I'll mention it again. As we look back through the history of this church, of people who have said, you know what, we're going to form a people, form a community um, of people of Christ in this area, and we're going to impact this community. Um, we, we, uh, we sat in a building that we didn't build. Um, we sat on a property that we didn't buy because the generation before us knew that God's glory is through the church, not just through them. It's through his church throughout all generations, forever and ever. And I pray that as we are a people who try to seek to follow Christ, to allow him to rearrange our intentions in our heart, and that we would understand his love, I pray that we would be a people that seek to glorify him. Not ourselves, not to make our name great, to make Christ's name great. And in order to live up to this um, God-glorifying, Christ-glorifying presence on earth, we need to be willing to let Christ uh, rearrange and change our hearts. So as we close this morning, I encourage you to think and reflect on your life. A lot of times, uh, if you remember going to the doctor's office as a kid or taking your kid to the doctor's office, they had a, um, a book in, in that doctor's office called Highlight Magazine, if you remember those. It's like a little magazine, all kinds of uh, pictures for kids. My favorite thing to do in that um, was to look at the page that had the differences, right? Uh, look at this page, look at this page, find where the differences are and circle them. It was one of my favorite games to play. Um, I think that's what we're called to do as Christians, having that Christ indwell our lives. We're supposed to look at our lives and say, here's Christ's life. Here's my life. What's the difference? And how can I make my life look more like Jesus's life for his glory? As we stand and we sing this next song after I pray, um, I just want you to have that time of reflection. We call this time at the end of our service uh, the response Um, Because it's a time for all of us to say, I've heard God's word. How should I respond to that message? So uh, as you think about your life and reflect on your life, reflect on Christ's glory um, through us, 
pray. How is it that I can better bring glory to you in my community? And then next week we'll pick up in chapter four and start talking about the, the practical implications of all of this truth. So let's pray.